I loved the emotional rush of being scared. I still do, of course. I don't go out much to haunted houses, but I still love good, old-fashioned, scary stories. Listener discretion is advised. Family annihilation and spree killing. You just said family annihilation. I did. So a couple definitions here. So family annihilation is like when multiple close family members are killed in like one location in a short period of time. And then spree killing. So you have like serial killings, which are like multiple victims multiple murder victims but there's like a cool off period in between yeah like a like it's like a course of time yeah and it's multiple locations okay this there's like mass murder which is like multiple murders in like one location and then for this case it's a spree killing so it's multiple murders multiple locations but it's a short period of time if that helps yeah yeah i mean i'm just more into the uh First one you said kind of caught yeah. my interest. Yeah, the family. it piques your interest. It's kind of sad, though. I'm gonna, not going to Oh, lie. don't tell me that. Sorry. All right, so Charles Starkweather was born on November of 1938 in Lincoln, Nebraska to Guy and Helen Starkweather. He was the third out of seven kids. Wow. Yeah, there's lots of big families. Every, every murder comes from a big yeah, family, it, really it seems does. like. Um, so Guy was a carpenter. But he had arthritis in his hands, so there was, like, frequent bouts of unemployment because, obviously, carpenters need their hands. So, kind of real unfortunate ailment he had. Uh, Helen was a waitress. Uh, She had to pick up the shifts a lot when Guy was laid off, I guess, or unemployed. They weren't the most well-off family, like, in terms of finances, obviously, but they made it work. Guy and Helen were always, like, helping their neighbors whenever they needed, and the neighbors just absolutely loved the Starkweather children because they were all so well-behaved. Charles had it really rough growing up, though. Once school started, he was bow-legged, and he had a stutter, and he was extremely nearsighted. Now, the nearsightedness wasn't diagnosed until he was a teenager, so everybody just assumed he was a slow learner, but he just couldn't, couldn't see, see for shit. So, like, Poor he, kid. He couldn't even read the top of the eye chart like the giant e he couldn't even read that like that's how nearsighted he was so kids bullied him a lot there was actually one case where they pushed him into oncoming traffic and laughed at him and said like his bow legs weren't working and that's why he went into traffic he got hit by a car oh my god yeah i don't think it was serious though but like but at the same time like uh that's so messed up for somebody to do. Like, what grade was this in? It didn't specify. It was just a real quick, like, oh, yeah. And then his bullying got so bad one day that he got pushed into oncoming traffic and and taller than his peers. So, obviously, he had a lot of, like, pent-up emotion and aggression from being bullied so much. And he ended up, like, initially finding an outlet in gym class where he would just, like, seek revenge on all the kids who bullied him by just like wrecking them in gym class power to him man yeah i like at this time he's an asshole later in life but just saying right now before he turns into the asshole like getting his revenge i'm a fan of a little bit of karma yeah i am what goes around comes around exactly so things escalated outside of 
gym class, though, and he actually got expelled from his middle school for just being a brutal bully to all the other kids. Well, now, see, that's the part where... Yeah, right. that's where it's like, okay, that's no longer karma. That's just, you're being an asshole now. So, he watched the movie Rebel Without a Cause. Have you ever seen it? I'm pretty sure I've seen that one. I've never seen it. It looks kind of interesting. It's a James Dean, like, classic, like... 1955 teenage cult classic uh james dean played a teenager named jim who was like sensitive and troubled and he just kind of wanted to find his place in the world um and the his family moved to a new town and he kind of takes on gang members with some other troubled teens is that like the premise of it pretty much yeah it's been a long time since i've seen yeah i i should i want to watch it now but all right well we'll watch it after this cool it's a date all right, so Char- <laughs> you just said date. <laughs> Why was that funny? I don't know. Are you are your pain meds kicking? Oh, in? I think they are. Oh, this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> okay, so Charles became obsessed with James Dean at this point. I think he just kind of connected to like the social outcast of his Rebel Without a Cause character. But he started to like imitate his like speech and his behavior, and like started dressing like him and stuff. So he straight up just altered his personality off of one movie. Off of one movie. He was like, yeah, you. I'm going to be you. That'd be pretty hard. What? For you to be me. I didn't say that. <laughs> so in high school, he and his buddies formed the Leather Jacket Gang. And on Saturdays, they would go to a street that was like the barrier point between a neighboring gang called the Levi Jacket Gang. And they would, like, stand on both sides of the streets and just, like, yell at each other. But then they would wrap it up and, like, all go get food together or all go to an amusement park together or, like, play chicken with their cars. So it's like, you suck. No, you suck. Your mom's fat. No, your mom's fat. You want to get milkshakes? Fuck yeah. Yeah, Let's go get some french fries, dude. (laughs) It made no sense. I have no idea, but that's, like, what he did on Saturday nights. At first, I kind of had some, like, Dallas outsiders yeah at first i had kind of like some outsider like yeah greasers yeah and yeah. then all of a sudden you're like let's get some milkshakes i'm like it made what? no sense i don't understand what the heck the purpose was like at that point just be like the levi leather jacket gang and just like i don't know get milkshakes together yeah do community service or something. <laughs> go clean up the streets yeah. after you yell yeah, at each my other God, like. i don't understand So Charles drops out of school at the age of 16 and then just starts a job at the Western Newspaper Union, just making newspaper bundles. So like tying the strings for like the paper boys to deliver. He's making like 85 cents an hour. So like with inflation today, that would be like a little less than nine dollars. It's like 8.78 is what the Googleator said. The Googleator? The Googleator. All right. So this brings us to Carol Ann Fugate. She was born on July of 1943 in Lincoln, Nebraska to William and Velda Fugate. Velda? Velda, yeah. That's a pretty solid name. Mm-hmm. So Carol was the youngest, and she had one older sister named Barbara, and they were like three years apart. They were pretty close um, because they spent a lot of time in closets together. Yeah. Like dress up, like Narnia type stuff? No. So their dad, William, was a drunk and he wasted all of his paychecks on like liquor and beer. 
Didn't save any money for food or bills or rent. He called off constantly because he was too drunk to show up. And he was pretty verbally abusive. So, when he got home, Velda would, like, hide the girls in the closet. And if he was sober, she would let them out right away. But if he was drunk, they just stayed in the closet until he got so drunk that he passed out. Wow, that's uh, that's definitely not a childhood I would want no. to be in. No, not at all. So, yeah, they were close. I feel like so far all the cases is just like pent up aggression to their families. It's hard because it's like you can tell that like they're growing up, their life was not the best, but also it's like that nature versus nurture kind of thing. Like, is it just something they grew up like if their families were decent, would they have been decent people? But also some of them, it's just like the most minor inconvenience makes them want to kill people. And I can't ever, I mean, I can get pretty angry at sometimes but never angry enough to murder somebody yeah i don't think i could either no so it's kind of like they were also kind of like born with it maybe it's maybelline sorry do you understand that reference no maybelline makeup (laughs) that i just well that fell flat because you don't know the maybelline slogan maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline yeah, I got it. Just wasn't no, funny. No, you don't. <laughs> Shut up. Yes, it was. It was hilarious. There's so many people laughing right now. Whatever. <sighs> Where was I? You were talking right. about closets. Yes. They were obviously frequently evicted from where they were living. They were moving constantly. And then, so all this moving affected Carol academically. She had to, like, repeat the first grade because she moved to five different schools between the start of her kindergarten year and the initial ending of her first first grade year. So like that's like two and a half schools per year. That's messed up. Yeah, it's crazy. So she kind of eventually developed this like what's the point attitude when it came to school and making friends because she just knew she would be moving eventually anyway. So there wasn't really a point in getting attached or putting much effort in, you know. So the only constant that Carol had, though, was hiding in the closet with Barbara. That was the only thing that remained the same no matter where she was. That is so messed up. Yeah. So one day, though, William decided that he was going to escalate from being a verbally abusive asshole to a physically abusive asshole. According to the novel The Twelfth Victim by Linda Battisti, Quote, they heard something more than the usual tirade. Blows, a scream, and a thud against the kitchen table brought the girls out of the closet in time to see their father's hand squeezed around Velda's throat. Barbara got a butcher knife and brandished it in the air while Carol found a hammer, got down on her hands and knees, and tried to hit her father's toes. Both girls were screaming, don't hurt our mother, let go of our mother. End quote. Wow. Yeah. So at this time, they were living in an apartment complex right next to Velda's sister and her mom. So Grandma Pansy, who is Velda's mom, heard all of this, broke through the door, took the knife from Barbara, and then William just, like, bolted out the door. This was, like, an eye-opening moment for Velda, and she decided that it was, like, over with William. There's a couple times where he, like, a week later came back to get his stuff, and then he left, and then, like, a couple years later, he... Wanted the girls to move in with him, but both of them were like, uh, no, fat chance. And then, like, that's kind of the all end we of hear him, from him. Yeah, yeah, like, good riddance, I'm not sure piece if of he shit. still had any minor talking to with either of the girls, but that's all that was mentioned I'm in any of the sources. probably not after what they had to deal with. No, I mean, assume, like, he asked to move in, and they're like, yeah, no. So, I'm assuming that the relationship probably was not mended as 
it should probably should not because he sounds like a real piece of work. shit yeah so velda divorces william as she should remarries years later to a man named marion bartlett who was a world war ii vet so right on and he just treated the girls like they were his own he was great uh, eventually velda and marion had a daughter together and they named her betty jean bartlett that is the cutest name isn't it like betty, betty jean. jean Mm-hmm. betty jean you get over here right now yeah is that feel good to say? Yeah, it did. Yeah. That that warmed my heart oh, a little bit. Oh, okay. You know? So her name was better than the rhyming of Ray and Faye yeah, Copeland? Yeah, Ray and Faye just sucked. Well, yeah, they sucked, but the names were satisfying. All right, so Carol's sister, Barbara, actually started dating Charles Starkweather. Oh. Yeah, but she ended up liking his friend, Bob Von Bush, better von bush von bush wow that's yeah very fancy 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 he, he eats caviar oh you know? he's from france oh i wonder if he made bush light not a chance dude mate it's spelled the same all right so barbara and bob kind of like felt bad that charles kind of got shafted in the whole relationship and they ended up together and whatever so they're like hey charles let me hook you up with my little sister Carol. Every time you say Carol that way, it makes me think of Carol Baskins. Killed her husband. Husband whacked him. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Now, I know you're thinking, lovely, beautiful wife of mine, what is the age difference here between Charles and Carol? Yeah, I'm kind of concerned about that. Right, that that was like word for word what you were thinking. I was definitely like... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, lovely husband. The age difference was Charles was 18... Carol was 13. Oh. Yeah. The well, age of consent back then and still to this day in Nebraska is 16, by the way. So oh. not only is this like morally yucky, it's legally yucky. So any sort of physical... Kissing, touching, Anything hugging. between the two, even with consent, is legally considered statutory rape for them. Until she becomes at least 16. Well, by golly, that's pretty messed up. It is. I don't know what the hell Barbara was thinking on that one. Thought Didn't, she was doing Sis a favor, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just... 18 and 13, That that's... A, why, what about a friend? I like, at that yeah, point in time, I'd be like, you know, I, I got a friend who's like 16, 17. Yeah. You want to give no. them a try? I don't know. So Carol was just like, be, quickly became everything that Charles wanted in a girlfriend. She could be heard, like, screaming and cheering for him at the frequent demolition derbies that he participated in. She would cheer him on when he did, like, the chicken game with the cars with the gangs on Saturday. He was probably, like, the most exciting thing in her life because he was older. He wore leather jackets. He raised cars. He kind of had the bad boy vibes going on. So it was just kind of a perfect storm, and they just, like, fell for each other real quick. Not gonna lie, that kind of makes me want me to puke. A little bit. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. When I was 13, I was playing Sims and... Eating Hot Pockets. Eating Hot Pockets. <laughs> yeah, eating Hot Pockets and watching Sims. Yeah. What sure, were you doing at 13? I'm pretty sure I was playing backyard football. Yeah, I wasn't... I mean, we never... I, I, I wasn't I, cheering for my adult boyfriend in demo derbies. No, I don't, I don't even think I thought about girls when I was 13. Like, I mean, I had, like, the occasional crush, but... 
Let's see, I was like a freshman in high school, so like a little bit, but not... Yeah. I don't know. All right, so then they started spending like every waking minute they could together. Charles taught Carol how to drive with his father's car. Carol crashed the car. Charles' dad guy had to pay for the repairs. How mad was his dad, though? Pretty pissed because... They got in an argument about it, and he physically threw Charles through an open window and kicked him out of the house. I probably deserved it. Yeah, he was just kind of sick of the behavior. He kind of figured, like, hey, you're spending too much time with this girl. She's way too young. You need to get your head on right. This isn't, you're making stupid decisions. And then they just got in a verbal argument, and then Guy was just like, you know what? With his Sayonara, sucker. With his, yeah, so he was real pissed <laughs> off. Yeah, he just picked him up and yeeted yeah. him out the window, huh? Yep. So at this point, Charles quits his job at the paper factory and starts working as a garbage man because he not only wanted to case out houses to rob in the future, but he wanted to kind of develop a back road route for when he did his planned bank robberies. None of which happened. Yeah, I mean, the garbage route... I could as see, a former garbage man. Yes, as a former garbage man, you can case out and find out some pretty cool shit that people has. Right. Right. But then you also learn when they're home. Well, when yeah, they're gone. so it's like perfect. So, I mean, it is a diabolical plan <laughs> if you can actually follow through with it. Like, because you see all the like boxes that they purchase, you see everything. Mm hmm. So, it wasn't a bad plan. It wasn't a bad plan, just poorly executed. Well, he didn't even try to execute it. He just put a lot of thought into it and then went to murder instead. Oh, golly. Yeah, took a turn. Yeah, that's an evil turn. Yeah. So, this brings us now to 1957, when Charles Starkweather commits his first murder at the age of 19. Hi, true crime fans. Greg here. I wanted to introduce a new amazing sponsor of the show, Hunt a Killer. Valentine's Day is almost here. Get your Valentine something fun that you can do together. A murder mystery subscription box. When Beth Ferris Hendricks's death is declared an accident in the small town of Mallory Rock, Maine, her sister Gwen sets out to prove Beth was murdered. Do you have what it takes to help Gwen? With each delivery, you'll sift through piles of documents, evidence, audio recordings, case files, eliminating suspects, and identifying murder weapons until you crack the case and catch the killer. The Hunt-A-Killer community is growing every day and has over 2,000 five-star reviews. Go to huntakiller.com forward slash crime and use code CRIME at checkout for $10 off your order. Part of the proceeds for every box goes to the Cold Case Foundation, an organization that is dedicated to helping with real-life cold cases. That's huntakiller.com forward slash crime. Make sure to use the code CRIME at checkout for a $10 discount. Thanks to Huntakiller for sponsoring True Crime and supporting independent podcasters. All right, so on November 30th, Charles goes into a gas station and wants to buy a stuffed animal for Carol. At the register, he realized that he didn't have enough money on him, so he asked the manager, who was a man named Robert Colvert, if he could buy it on credit and just pay him back later. Robert refuses and throws Charles out because Charles just would not let it go and just kept like, please let me do it. Like, come on, man. Like, just wouldn't drop it. So Robert's like, no, get out. The next day, Charles first shows up, buys a pack of cigarettes, then leaves. 
Shows up a second time, purchases a pack of gum, then leaves. Shows up a third time with a bandana and a hat over his face and holds Robert at gunpoint with a shotgun. Huh. I don't know why it was like third time's the charm. Like maybe he was just like amping up to it or like kind of casing out to join a couple times. Like I don't I don't quite understand. Probably casing it out. Maybe like maybe. go and make sure it's just Robert working and then go in again and see like if there's cameras in or something. Like I don't know. So he forces Robert to open the registers. Obviously Robert's still at gunpoint. And open the safe in the back of the store and he just like takes all the money he could find. Then forces Robert to drive his own car to a nearby remote wooded area where he shoots and kills him. So he goes home, hangs out with this girl, Carol, tells her about the robbery, but doesn't tell her about the murder part. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC the truest story never told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Yeah, so, like, key detail he left out there, but, you know. Right, I mean, hey, I just stole a bunch of money from a guy that wouldn't let me buy a stuffed animal for you on credit. Here's your stuffed animal that I paid for in a human sacrifice. Yeah. Like, was was the fluffy bear worth it? You know how much bad juju would be attached to that fucking bear at that point? A lot of bad juju. Around this same time, Charles loses his job. Obviously, he can't afford to pay his rent anymore, and he gets evicted. Carol and Charles have been dating for around two years now. Carol's stepdad, Marion, is not the biggest fan of Charles, and Charles is not the biggest fan of Marion. Both are pretty open about disliking each other, too. Really? So it's just like a walking argument? Uh, I don't know if they, like, argued with each other or if they even saw each other, but, like, to Carol, they were both like, I don't like him. I don't like him. Like, Marion thought that Charles was too old for Carol, which he Definitely was. Definitely solid I mean, point. I'm, I'm with Marion on this one. He felt they spent too much time together, and he wanted Carol focusing on her education and following her dreams of becoming a nurse. Also, not a bad point he's making. I mean, I understand the whole teen, like, my parents hate me, and, like, they don't understand me, but, like... So then, Charles always had, like, cuts and bruises on him, too, from, like, all these, like, gang activities and fights and stuff. So, overall, Marion just thought that he was just bad news and Carol could do a lot better. Again, Definitely valid solid point. point. Yeah, Marion's really three for three for me on these. And then Charles just kind of felt that Marion was just an idiot who needed to mind his own business. 
I still side with Marion. Oh, 110%. Like, so at this point, Carol notices that Charles is getting a little too possessive and jealous. He questions her constantly about her talking to other boys in her class. She's 14, so like... Yeah, like... And he wants her to quit her babysitting jobs that she has so that she could spend more time with him. And he just didn't really like how her family kept saying, like, all these negative things about him to her and about, like, their relationship in general. So all of this, like, aggression comes to a head on January 21st, 1958. So Charles calls Carol's house. Her mom and Marion answer the phone. The three just start arguing with each other. Charles was told that he was a bad influence and to stay away from Carol. So Charles takes a rifle and some ammunition to Carol's house and then shoots and kills Carol's mom, Velda, and stepfather, Marion. What the fuck, dude? Hold on. Then Carol's two-and-a-half-year-old sister, Betty Jean. No. Yeah. Why? He stabs and strangles her to death. That's fucked up, dude. A two-year-old. How can you do that to a cute little baby named Betty Jean? How can Jean? you do that to anybody? But yes, a two-year-old. Like, and the fact that like strangling two—it's such a personal way to kill somebody. Like that baby ain't said nothing negative to you, right? But like, <laughs> you have to literally like look, look at look it, the person in the eye when you're doing it. Like, yeah, that's like a different kind of hate. And a two and a half-year-old. Yeah, you're gonna stare a two and a half-year-old in the eye after you've stabbed her, and you're gonna strangle her. Like, God, I am. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, at that point in time, you just killed a two-and-a-half-year-old baby. And her parents. I mean, how big of a man are you? Oh, mm-hmm. you stabbed a two-year-old yep. and then you strangled him. Like, calm down. It's fucking stupid. Calm down. Take a breath. In. I'm out. calm. I, that stuff just bothers me. I know. So. Carry on. Okay. Thank you. You sure? You good? No, I'm not good, but okay. let's get this going. That's the worst part. The okay. worst part's over. I mean, God. there's still more murders to come, but like, as parents, that's the worst one for me. Well, yeah. So Carol and Charles then live in the home with the dead bodies for a few days. What? Yeah. So they they put a sign on the door that said, hey, whole house has the, has the flu, don't come in. And they lived there with the decomposing bodies of... So Velda, Marion, and Betty Jean. Was she there when it happened? That's the thing. That's up for debate because... So it's up for debate if Carol participated in the murder of her family or not. She still to this day claims that she was just Starkweather's hostage. But Charles had always stated otherwise and said she was like a willing participant. Hmm. Yeah. Lover's quarrel. Yeah. So... The police, about a week later, arrived after Grandma Pansy was suspicious and asked them to do a wellness check on Velda and Marion and Betty Jean. The police obviously found decomposing bodies of Marion, Velda, and Betty Jean. But at this point, Charles and Carol had already fled to Bennett, Nebraska. So now they're wanted. Oh, for sure. I don't know if, like, at this point they realize who the killers are, but they will hear pretty quick. So... Kids and old people, man. I yeah, can't. you have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for the old people. Especially when they're sitting by themselves eating breakfast and stuff. I have to look for wedding rings, and if I don't see a wedding ring, I have to literally imagine like, oh, okay, they're just out for breakfast while they're 
daughter does something or like, oh yeah, yep, they visit their granddaughters all the time. Or like, I come up with a scenario in my head so that I don't have to think about old people being sad and alone. Yeah. It's bad. Seven, don't laugh at me. I just it's think sad. it's so adorable. I hate it. It's a curse. Mm. All right, so 70-year-old August Mayer was a family friend of the Stark Brothers, and he owned a farm in Bennett, Nebraska. Does he have a wife, a kid? It just says it was him and his dog. Oh. Yeah. Not the dog. Yeah. So instead of just, like, camping out there and then, like, going on their merry way, he not only shoots August, killing him, but he shoots and kills the dog. What the fuck is wrong with this dude at this point? Poor old man. Like, he can't witness. On a porch. He's not going to go on the witness stand and say, you did it. Yeah. Like, he doesn't leave, have a voice. leave Fido alone. So when Charles and Carol try to flee the area of August's murder, Charles ends up driving the car in a ditch. Oh. Now, two teenagers, Robert Jensen and Carol King, stop to offer their help. Charles was so appreciative of their help that he shoots and kills Robert Jensen right oh, there on the spot. Wow. Yeah. What a guy. Hey, thanks for helping me out. It makes no fucking sense. So then he attempts to rape Carol King, but loses patience and just shoots and kills her instead. So just, again, what the fuck? And Carol's right there. And Carol's right there. So. This is, I, I mean, for one, you killed a baby. Then you kill the old man and the dog. Now somebody helps you. And the gas station guy. Oh, yeah, guy. and the gas station guy and, and Carol's yeah. family. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then they take Robert's car and they head for the wealthier part of Lincoln, Nebraska. The three bodies of like August, Carol, and Robert are found next to Charles's car the next day. So I believe at this point they're like, Okay, we're looking for Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate, like, for sure. Again, though, Charles claims that Carol was an active participant in the murders of August Carol and Robert, but Carol still, to this day, denies it all. They head to the house of an industrialist named C. Lauer Ward, I believe is how you say it. He was initially not home, but his wife, Clara Ward, and their maid, Lillian Fenkel. It's like F E N C L. So I. Fenkel. Fenkel? Feng? Yeah, something. They stabbed Clara hmm. and the family dog to death. What is up with them and dogs? I don't dude? know. Like, God. What is up with them and murder, really? Yeah, like. So they then forced Lillian to make them breakfast, as you do. You're. Yeah. Um, Mr. Ward walks in at this point, so they shoot him eat their breakfast, and then tie Lillian to the bed before killing her, too. They then take Mr. Ward's car and just get the hell out of Dodge. Within a few days, the bodies of Clara, Lillian, and Mr. Ward were found, and then at this point, the police issue a full-scale manhunt that includes National Guard, FBI, and an extensive house-by-house search of the area. But they're probably long gone by now. Kind of, yeah. So the mayor of Lincoln, Nebraska, at this time, issues a $1,000 reward, which would be like $9,300 today. Gotta love inflation. So now they realize, though, that Mr. Ward's car is a little too flashy and identifiable. So Charles and Carol hear all this stuff. They know the manhunt's happening. 
And they're like, okay, Mr. Ward's car is a little too flashy and identifiable, so they don't want to attract all the attention. So they are, at this point, just outside of Douglas, Wyoming, and then come across Merle Collision sleeping in his Buick. Being the piece of shits that they are, surprise, surprise. Shoot him and walk away. They shoot him and kill him, and they attempt to take his car. Another surprise, surprise. Charles claims that it was Carol who pulled the trigger on Merle, but Carol denies all voluntary involvement in any of the Starkweather murders still. Now, here's the kicker to the whole Buick situation. It had a parking brake, and Charles couldn't figure out how to disengage it. So he shot the man for no reason. Well, he shot and killed the guy for, like, the car, but yeah. So then a random bystander offered to help, but Charles, like, brandished a gun and offered to kill him if he didn't, like, leave him alone. And then, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Natrona? Natrona County Sheriff's Deputy... William Romer witnessed this altercation and he calls for backup at this point. Now, Carol sees these officers, immediately runs to them, crying and screaming about how Charles has killed somebody. Charles gets back into Mr. Ward's fancy car, takes off. So, obviously, a police chase ensues and shots were fired at Charles. A bullet ends up shattering his windshield and cuts up, like, by his ear and his eye pretty badly and he bleeds pretty bad. Charles assumes he's on his deathbed and surrenders so he can get medical attention. Hmm. Yeah. In the All Things Interesting article that I link in the show notes, the arresting officer said, quote, he thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is, end quote. That's definitely a solid statement. Yeah. Like, I literally, mean, the only reason you stopped was because you thought you were going to bleed to death, and that's it. You I, murdered I, eleven people. I feel like I feel like this guy's just not right. Duh. So at this point, Charles and Carol are arrested. Now you said that she turned herself in, crying, saying that he killed someone. Mm-hmm. So is, do you think she's playing the victim? We'll we'll discuss in a second. Oh, okay, you're jumping the gun a little bit. They're both arrested. So Charles was brought up on one charge of first degree murder for the murder of Robert Jensen, the teen who tried to help him after he drove into a ditch. I could not, for the life of me, find why they didn't try him for the other murders. Like they just, I mean, I guess the Robert Jensen one. His car was at the scene so they could, like, link him to it. Robert Jensen's girlfriend, Carol King, was at the scene as well. So, like, why couldn't they at least... I mean, it really doesn't matter, but it just... I don't know. It bugs me that I could not find that anywhere. So, um, Charles... This is another karma situation. I love it. Charles willingly chooses to be extradited from Wyoming to Nebraska. So, that means that he was was picked up in Wyoming, so he was going to get tried to Wyoming. But he was like, no, I can be tried in Nebraska. Strictly because the governor of Nebraska at the time was vocally against executions. However, funny thing is, that governor made an exception for Charles. Oh, yes. So Charles, during the trial, kind of kept changing his story. So he initially said that Carol wasn't even present for the murder of Robert Jensen. Then, once he found out that she was kind of like placing all the blame on him... He claimed that she was a willing participant. His lawyers were even wishy-washy and bounced back and forth between him 
committing the murder due to insanity and him being completely innocent and like like pick one right like you can't just play both sides right of the field. you gotta you... pick one and commit to it the jury though wasn't having any of it and charles starkweather was convicted of murder and sentenced to death now carol fugate maintained her innocence through her whole trial even to this day she still does she claimed she was a hostage and he just threatened to kill her entire family if she didn't follow him, supposedly unaware that he had already killed her family. The judge declares that she had multiple opportunities to run away, and so then on November 21st, 1958, Carol Fugate was given a life sentence and became the youngest person in American history to be tried for and convicted of first-degree murder. I feel like she definitely deserved it, though, because they stayed in the house. On June 25, 1959, Charles Starkweather was executed via the electric chair and buried in Wyuka Cemetery in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is the same cemetery as five of his 11 victims. Wow. Yes, so... Did he pick that? I don't think he, I don't think he get to pick. That's kind of messed up. Well, I mean, he's kind of a messed up guy, so... Uh, Carol served 18 years of her life sentence before she was released on parole for good behavior. She married a man named Frederick Clare and became Carol Ann Clare. The two moved to Hillsdale, Michigan. Oh. Right in our backyard, kind of. No. Yeah. They're, I don't want to like give specifics, but they're within driving distance easily. Oh. Yeah. Now, in 2013... Carol and Frederick were driving, and their SUV went off the road. Carol survived with pretty serious injuries, but Frederick did unfortunately die at that point. And then just recently, in February of 2020, at the age of 76, Carol applied for a pardon because she didn't like that people still thought that she was like a willing participant in Starkweather's murder spree. Uh, According to NBC News, she said that it is just, quote, too much for me to bear anymore and receiving a pardon may somehow alleviate this terrible burden end quote but she was denied the pardon thank god a lot of people believe that carol was completely innocent and was just another victim of charles starkweather uh the book that i quoted and cited in the show notes the 12th victim the innocence of carol fugate in the starkweather murder rampage by linda m batisti is literally all about how Carol was, like, Charles's 12th victim. Obviously, he didn't murder her, but, like, holding her hostage, like, all that kind of thing. Some of the murder victim's grandchildren even publicly supported Carol's request for a pardon. So there's, like, yeah, there's quite a big group of people who believe that she was actually his, like, 12th victim. Like, and I don't know, I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to say I'm kind of, like, on the fence-ish. She was only 14. Yeah, but her parents even said, like, look, we don't want this dude in our life. She could have walked away from him. but she was 14. She thought she was, like, in love. I mean, think of you when you were 14. You do not have the best, like, what is it, the whole, like, cortex, some sort of brain cortex or something isn't fully developed till you're 25, so, like, decision-making skills for her probably, I mean, obviously were nowhere near fully developed when she was 14. I could totally see her being, like, his 12th her... victim. But then also, like, I, I think a 14-year-old could have got, like, I don't know, the way that she surrendered herself to the cops at the end, she knew what she was doing there. So, like. Yeah, she was playing the system. I don't know. 
You women are smart. We don't give you enough credit. Whoa. I'm, I'm glad you. I got that on recording. I'm just saying. All right. You guys. Well, that is our case for the week. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. A little disturbing, a little upset. Quite a bit. Yeah, most poor true dogs. crime cases are. Yeah, poor 11 victims and yeah. two dogs. How long was the span of these murders? It was like end of November, beginning of December when Robert Colvert was murdered. And then the final murder, the Merle collision with the Buick was in like the end of January. So within a couple months span. Oh, wow. That's messed up. Yeah. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.